Well, hi, and welcome to The Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. I'm Dan Franklin, and I'm here with Kevin Tylacker, one of the elders here at Life Bible Fellowship Church. And if you're a part of the church, you probably see him almost every Sunday up front on the keyboard, serving on the worship team. So Kevin, thanks so much for being here for this podcast episode. Thank you for having me, Dan. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you, and we're gonna be talking about election. Um, not the presidential election, but the biblical doctrine of election. And what we're doing, that, yeah, this is the first of three episodes that we're gonna do for this podcast that we do every other week, um, where we're just gonna be delving into some of the weightier, tougher theological topics. Um, Kevin and I are not gonna solve the questions about election and free will in this, but I did think it, that it was significant to talk about because um, terms surrounding election, predestination, they're in the Bible, they mean something, and they also are sort of charged with emotion when we talk about it. Um, and so sometimes we, we might feel tempted to sort of avoid things that are charged with emotion, um, but we wanna lean in and say, we, we wanna look at what the Bible says. And but before we get into some scripture on this, I'll just ask you, wh what have you encountered as some of the ways that discussion about election does seem to be sort of emotionally charged when people get into it? I do think they're coming with sometimes uh, a negative motive to begin with to, mm -hmm. to ask the question, even um, to ask the other questions of why this would have happened and why did God do this? There's already coming with that. It's almost like uh, you have to have, uh, before you give a simple answer, you might have to uh, front load a lot of information to understand. Uh, I remember recently seeing uh, John Piper uh, and somebody just asked the simple question, and I think it was about election or some deep thing of God. And he said, I will get to the right. simple answer. <laughs> and, and I noticed the video was eight minutes long. And he said, but then he began with, now you need to understand. I mean, and he's giving biblical framework and we don't often come to it with with that in mind. People, yeah. we want the quick answer and, and uh, it just can't, doesn't always... Uh, feel right or, or complete. And sure. so, and especially on this one, uh, there seems to be that, that charge on the other side. But once you start delving into it for yourself, and uh, I believe everyone should come to a place, we're in, we're in process, but it'd be nice to come to a place where you're just settled, not to know it all or completely. Um, that's just one of the deep areas that I think theologians have, have been swimming in for a long time. Um, but but I do believe if the if the Bible if God's word is is sharing that with us, that um, we ought to see what the Lord has to say on it. Yeah, and, and it's and it's a great point. Just that uh, because I think a lot of times there are ideas that we recognize for one reason or another they're hard for us to swallow mm -hmm. either intellectually or emotionally, and so it does make sense to say all right we're we're coming at this with a context and and so a couple points of context for us we, we were just talking about this. This is not an orthodoxy heresy debate when we're talking, and when and to clarify, when we're talking about election, what we're talking about is um, our belief in the biblical teaching that specifically surrounding salvation, that there's a broader idea of God's sovereignty, but specifically surrounding salvation, God makes the first move. Mm -hmm. God chooses us. God does not respond to our choice of Him, but God chooses those who will respond, and to recognize like. That's emotionally loaded because of questions of fairness, mm -hmm. because of questions surrounding free will, because of questions surrounding sort of the, the mechanisms of how does this work. And so we're from, we, we believe that God is perfect in knowledge, perfect in love, perfectly just, 
Um, we don't believe that election is meant to lead to any kind of arrogance or superiority. Mm -hmm. So, so maybe just to front load, like we're, we're coming at it with that spirit. Um, but we're also coming at it saying, this is something that we think is taught in scripture and matters. And so I'll, I'll ask you, we'll, we'll kind of exchange some notes on this, but um, there's a lot of passages that we could go to to explore this. For you personally, what have been some of the key passages that have convinced you that this is a biblical teaching? Yeah. I think um, I, I've got um, two major ones and then one smaller one that I remember, which is just so interesting. I think Romans 11, uh, hmm. I mean, Romans 9. <laughs> Romans 9 is the is the big one. And if I would just read from uh, verse 11 just to um, 16, and I think 16 draws a conclusion that we can just like, in a sense, be settled on. And so it's talking about before uh, Jacob and Esau are born, uh, Paul writes, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. And so, so he's, he puts a so there, which is the <laughs> therefore, this is a, a conclusion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And then it goes on to contrast what God did in Pharaoh's heart. And, Absolutely. Uh, and so this is uh, Romans chapter nine, very, very meaty and, and uh, definitely um, uh, an election verse. Yeah. And, and in that, I mean, even one of the things, one of the reasons why I think that that is a powerful passage is because it sort of cuts off mm -hmm. the possibility of saying, maybe God chooses us because we first choose him. Mm -hmm. And talking about Jacob and Esau, before they were born, mm -hmm. this isn't Absolutely. the idea that God is looking into the future. And, you know, and, and uh, as it also quoted the whole idea of not him who wills, exactly. but that God is the actor in all of this. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So Romans, Romans nine for sure. Um, the other one has to be um, Ephesians one, and of mm. course the, the whole chapter is rich. But if I would just read three to um, six, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one Jesus Christ, the one he loves. Uh, and then it goes on to uh, show, uh, forget not all his benefits uh, yeah. uh, uh, of being that. The other one I always would think of was Acts chapter 13. It's like Luke is just reporting this as if in passing. Mm. The, yeah. the way he says, um, and, and all who are appointed to eternal life believed. Yeah. We always say it the other way, those who are believers, you know, as if it's supposed to be that way, but all who were appointed, all who were ordained to eternal life, those ones believed in this area in a uh, just a, that, that's been a great passage, but uh, these I think are, are rich places uh, to definitely uh, uh, yeah, land on. Absolutely, those are, yeah, Ephesians 1 was high on my list yeah. also. I, I'll read one that maybe it doesn't overtly mention 
the word election. Mm -hmm. But for me, has been such a significant passage in this is John chapter six. Mm -hmm. um, and John six, broadly speaking, it's, mm -hmm. the, it's the bread of life um, speech that Jesus gives. And there's these three verses in quick succession that are sort of, they build uh, a cumulative case that's pretty compelling. So in verse 37, Jesus speaking says, all those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. We're like, all right, we, we got an airtight statement from Jesus there. Everybody who the father gives him will come to him. All right. Then a couple of verses later, verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of those that he has given me, but will raise them up in the last day. So for saying, oh, okay, what we've got is that the ones that the father gives to Jesus aren't just coming to him, hearing the gospel, and then maybe believing and maybe not. He's saying anybody that the father gives to me in this context, he is going to be saved. I won't lose any of them. Well, then a few verses later in verse 44, he says, mm -hmm. no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up on the last day. So verse 44, almost like, you know, retrofits in where it's like, oh, okay, well, so here appears to be the process that Jesus is laying out. Nobody can come unless the father draws mm -hmm. him. So the father draws someone. That is the father giving that person mm -hmm. to the son. Mm -hmm. When that person is given to the son, he automatically comes. Nobody is given to the son and then doesn't mm -hmm. come. He comes. And if he comes, Jesus saves him. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, okay, that's pretty significant when we're talking about that. And, and one of the things that's also struck me, you know, beyond uh, just like you were saying, the passing language in Acts, where it's just mm -hmm. sort of casually reported that the Lord was the one who did all this. Um, you go all the way back to thinking of Israel and the chosenness of Israel. You know, Deuteronomy, this is one of my favorite, very humbling, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this more. Election is a very humbling idea. Absolutely. It, it does not foster pride if understood rightly. Absolutely. Um, but Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses seven through eight say, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more nu numerous than the other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore before your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh the king. And to me, one of the things that's most striking about that is, you know, first of all, all right, going back to the Old Testament, the idea of God choosing people, this, this didn't start with Jesus, mm -hmm. but also the idea that the logic there seems like we're, we're waiting for another step. Because what he seems to say is, God didn't love you because you were impressive. God wasn't responding to something in you. He says, God loved you because God loved you. Mm -hmm. And we're like, wait, but you still haven't explained yeah. it. And it is sort of like the Romans 9 idea. I'm going to show mercy to who I'm going to show mm -hmm. mercy. It's a very humbling and powerful idea. Israel, you weren't chosen because you were smart, because you were honorable, because mm -hmm. you were numerous. You were chosen because God chose you. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. And Jesus even says to his disciples in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. So thinking of all, it's like th there is a, even in the, the sort of narratives where you might say, is he saying he chose them to be apostles or cho chose them to be saved? Well, either way, the whole idea is that God is the initiator of this choice over and over again. And there's this weight of evidence. And then you have the standout passages like Romans mm -hmm. 9, Ephesians mm -hmm. 1, John 6, you know, it, to some degree, even Romans 8, I, I think mm -hmm. plays into this with sort of the unbreakable line of mm -hmm. being called, foreknown, then mm -hmm. called, then justified, then glorified. Like, 
what seems to be going on here is that when God decides to save somebody, that person gets saved. And unless God decides to save that person, that person doesn't get saved. God is the one who is initiating and carrying out this choice. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you touched on some of the, the verses that I, I was thinking of as well. Yeah. Well, one of the things I thought, you know, we, we, we alluded to this a little bit, but um, the, the word, in fact, I just alluded to the word foreknowledge, mm -hmm. you know, so, so this is used in different yes. passages, you know, Romans, mm -hmm. um, eight is one of them, Romans eight, 29 and 30. Um, some will say, all right, because of foreknowledge, what this means is that God was looking that down, you know, God is outside of time. So he was able to see, see that at whatever age, Kevin Tylacker was going to choose to place his faith in Jesus. And because God looked and foreknew that, that's why he chose you to be a part of the family. So it, it doesn't say that election doesn't happen. It just sort of says, well, election is a response to a choice that we make and that we hadn't made yet, but God knew we were going to make. Um, well, what's your response to that idea? Well, in hearing that, I'm all of a sudden feeling a bit, uh, a bit proud. Well, right. you said that God chose me by name and, and because, you know, I, I made the right choice. Right. I'm smart enough. I, I, you know, I, I did the right thing. Uh, yeah, I, I believe election is definitely based. We have to. It's based on foreknowledge, even even in the order of it. And I think the the root of still that word is more than God's omniscience to us. Right. The, the foreknowledge, I think, when you look in the Old Testament, and to know meant intimacy and the the object of of God's love. And yeah, so even I mean, in yeah, the, I mean, of course, the famous Genesis: Adam knew his wife, exactly. and she became pregnant. Exactly. So, so it's this relational absolutely. Love. And then when you have in Ephesians, in uh, you know, in love. Love, he he destined you, uh, so to be the object of his love, and it's very much like uh, we love because he first loved us. And I think uh, I, I like to be reminded of that golden chain of redemption, which mm -hmm. doesn't state any condition or anything that must have happened in me, but the the three words of those whom he, mm -hmm. those whom he foreknew he predestined those whom he predestined he called those whom he called he justified those whom he justified he glorified god that you're talking about airtight that's right. the the golden chain of redemption yeah, nobody's slipping under a Not door frame all. in that process exactly. there. i think the real punch is what you already said before back in romans 9 and it's um it's like paul is anticipating the objection to come yeah. and we know the objection that's not fair. Yes. And he cuts right to it. Is God unrighteous? Is God unfair? And then old King James' answer is, God forbid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he says that he uh, would be unfair uh, in all of this. So to see God from, uh, just to imagine that picture from God from all eternity, he's looking at a fallen people, a, a fallen people whom he he's not obliged to show mercy to anyone, and yet he shows mercy to whom he will, and to the rest he passes over, and and they receive justice, justice to which all of us deserve, Absolutely. they receive justice, and in all of that there is no injustice in God. Uh, so and and that's that's just um, absolutely amazing. So we don't have uh, any basis, any claim uh, on on this at all. If we did, it would be called conditional election. Right. And I think the reformers, uh, in in naming it uh, unconditional or even sovereign election, uh, were really showing the contrast when you think side by side of these two that um, that somehow salvation would just be. Uh, a possibility or a certainty with God? Would, would, would he have a potential people 
or would he have an mm. actual people? Um, and and I, I think um, that terminology, that just naming it, that um, really preserves the sovereignty of God. And I think uh, William Grudem makes that little contrasting point too when he says, uh, more important than the salvation of man is God's glory. Mm-hmm. And in the other view, more important than the salvation of man is or salvation of man is man's own choice. Will, and when you look yeah. at that and you say this, this passage, and I think the Bible really preserves um, God's uh, sovereignty for us, which is very humbling. It is. Well, well, yeah, and and you kind of hit on it. I mean, when, when we think about this, you know, for, for people listening, you know, like we're, we're not blind to the idea that the questions of fairness and, mm-hmm. you know, I, for me, I'd be like, all right, that there seem to be three major either gut or intellectual responses mm-hmm. that come to the doctrine of election that in by way of objection, you know, one could be, well, so do our actions matter at all? Mm-hmm. You know, a second could be, um, is this going to make us arrogant because mm-hmm. I'm chosen? You know, we joked about the frozen chosen, you know, <laughs> Presbyterians are sometimes called the frozen chosen. It's funny. I don't know if it's actually true, <laughs> <What's up>? um, <laughs> but it's just a funny name. And and the third would be the fairness, which is related mm-hmm. to the free will saying this isn't fair. And And you got into part of it where part of the context where we come at the fairness idea is to say, none of us deserve anything but hell. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the the overall framework of, of scripture and of election. I mean, you know, you get into Ephesians too, with we were dead in our trespasses mm-hmm. and sins. Mm-hmm. This, this is an even greater salvation than the idea that we were drowning in the water. We're told mm-hmm. we, were, we were drowned. Mm-hmm. We were utterly dead. We were headed towards hell, rightly and appropriately yeah. for our own sin and rebellion against God and God saving anyone is an act of profound grace and mercy. And so at the very least, starting from there, saying like, okay, when we're talking about fairness, like fairness would be, straightforward fairness would be, we all get hell. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're, we're hitting on this mercy. And, it, and I'm not unsympathetic. I get the idea of saying, but I, I don't like that. You know, maybe I don't like it for myself because I want to have pride, but maybe I don't like it because I say, well, what about somebody else that's not a believer? Did they not have the same chance that I have? So it's natural that those questions come up. And I'm so struck by the idea that in Romans 9, you know, like you're saying, Paul seems to anticipate the objections, which is one of the reasons that gives me confidence that he's not saying something softer than what we're saying, mm-hmm. because he was like, oh, I know how this sounds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, later on in Romans 9, verses 19 through 21, where he says, One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? It's like, that's the exact mm-hmm. question. Exactly. He, I, This is why I think that he's saying the hard doctrine of election, because mm-hmm. he anticipates that question. And he responds by saying, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? And to me, that's such a gut check because I, I, you know, we did that deeper event and I mm-hmm. brought up this verse and said, the way a lot of us respond to this verse is we're like, all right, fair enough, Paul. But really, what's the answer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just sort of discount it like, yeah, all right, I, I get it. You made your point. But what's the answer? Yeah. That is Paul's answer. And I think, you know, there are philosophers that have delved in to, to try to demonstrate that there is a way of, of having a compatibility between determinism and free will or sovereignty and free will. Um, I, I've read some things and I'm like, okay, that's, that's interesting. Maybe that's how it works. Um, there might be people that feel compelled to try to track down more how it works. I, I genuinely, I feel like more of us are meant to respond 
to what Paul says in this passage by saying, um, all right, I'm willing to trust God on this one mm-hmm. because I just got rebuked and pulled back and said, all right, wait a second. You're bringing up this objection. Who do you think you are? And can't get past the fact that at the end of Job, when Job is complaining about, God, why did you do all this to me? God's answer for all intents and purposes is, Job, do you think it's possible there's things that you don't know that would make this make sense? And I feel like for me and and for any of us, when we're raging against election and saying there must be an answer, that maybe what God is saying to us is, hey, Dan, don't you think it's possible there's an explanation that you just don't get and that you can trust me with? So I, I don't want to discount that this is, you know, maybe I've just come to a point of peace and some people would say it's copying out. But for me, I, I feel like, why am I going to try that hard to understand something? You know, you brought this up just when we were chatting beforehand. This isn't the only mystery we're dealing with mm-hmm. as Christians and as human beings. There's lots of them. Absolutely. And, and one thing that occurs to me as you're speaking, we can't speak of election and mercy without human depravity and how Absolutely. depraved we are. And it seems like all of the... The, the doctrines of grace as the reformers would have them are, are so glued together yeah. that we we can't be talking about one without the other, but especially total depravity, as they would call it, which is not utter depravity, right. they would say, but total, meaning uh, my will, affections, all of me, you know, just is in such brokenness and, and need for him. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. And I think, in my opinion, total depravity is because I do believe it's a biblical idea, it reflects a biblical idea. I think that it's the biblical gospel related idea that is m- the biggest battlefield mm-hmm. in our time. That, you know, even with election, we might have an easier time getting on board. But the idea that we are so lost, you know, we're, we're casually saying we deserve hell, we deserve that's judgment. Good. That's not what our world thinks. No. That's not what a lot of us as Christians instinctively think. Yeah. We think we're little flawed and need a you know need a a little push over the top and need some grace but the idea that we are totally depraved that we can't respond Mm -hmm. without god that jesus is saying no one comes to me unless the father draws him that's that's very humbling and and that's part of what i think you know when when people fear the impact of the doctrine of election and i i'll say i have yet to meet the christian that because they believe in election um is very prideful like I'm not saying they're not out there. I have met Christians who have pride mm-hmm. issues, mm-hmm. but to me, it's not directly related to election. It may just be rela- related to, you know, I'm living the way that God wants me to and that person isn't. Um, but what I have run into a lot is people who embrace the doctrine of election and are utterly crushed and humbled by it mm-hmm. in an appropriate way. Like the idea of saying, I can't point back to any wise moment in my past or any noble choice that I made. I'm saying I would be still dead at the bottom of that sea if God hadn't made me alive and maybe even able to respond. That's incredibly humbling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, in our helpless state, we sometimes do hear the. illustrations you know um, you we were sick unto death and all we have to do is take the medicine of right. the gospel and if we just take it to our mouth and, and that's not the mercy that that the lord speaks about or we were drowning in our sin and and the lord he's throughout this this uh, life preserver right. we just have to grab onto it. And there we are grabbing onto <laughs> it and, and that's not how the lord describes it it's uh, you were dead i mean we needed resuscitation you were dead in your sins and trespasses i mean there was nothing there to to respond to unless he would i like old king james uh, that said quickened us he yeah. quickened us to life 
uh, yeah, we, uh, it's, it is very humbling. And the more that I thought about, um, this time I just became that there can't be any pride when understood correctly. Absolutely. It's quite humbling that God is God and uh, we are not. uh, And how can the clay (laughs) talk back to the potter? I mean, it's a funny thing to think about. (laughs) It is. Well, when I think, you know, it's, it's striking in so many ways when we think about this and part of the challenge, you know, so, so we're, we're both saying like, all right, when it, when it comes to election, we're, we're, neither of us are at the place where we're sort of like, we softly believe in election. Like we're like, well, we, we believe in this pretty hardcore. Um, you know, again, the, the danger would be, well, if you say that you're just going to fold your arms and sit around and not do anything. We, we know both experientially, I, I would say experientially, um, we know that we make choices. We just sort of like, that's how we go through life. For, for me, experientially, I, I feel like I experienced both going on where there are things that I say, I could take credit for that, but I never would have done that if God had not. Clearly, God was intervening in some ways. He's moving in me through the Spirit, you know. So my experience would say, I think we can experience both. That there are, even if you're not a Christian, you would say, all right, there's outside factors that influence how I am the way that I am. And there's also choices that I make in the moment. And so part of the, the mystery of living in this is just saying, this is not telling us to just sit around and God will do stuff and we don't have responsibility. There still is responsibility mixed into this, even if we don't fully understand how all that works. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, between choice and God's sovereignty, it's not an either or thing. And I think people make it appear to be that way. It's it's definitely a, a both and. Uh, one of the objections uh, to it, of course, is this sounds so mechanical, you know, mm-hmm. as if to say that believers are are we're kicking and screaming against God sanctifying us and and bringing us uh, heavenward in the image of Jesus or or the other way thinking that an unbeliever is going to somehow resent the fact that he's yeah. not elect the unbeliever is you know, trying that, desperately to get to God but God's yeah, blocking yeah. him on every turn <laughs> yeah. or something like that so um i do think um in in thinking about free will or how free it is or isn't it's certainly not i don't believe it's neutral or or mm. unbiased I, I believe we do choose according to our desires, and that's the problem. Yes, uh, the, in our fallen human nature, that every inclination in the th- in the thoughts of the human heart is only evil continually. Uh, meaning, <laughs> I sin because I want to sin. Uh, and if the Bible's true in saying uh, no one seeks after God because th- there's just not not that desire, unless God would plant that desire, quicken us to life, that we might desire him and that's a very john six forty four. My my thoughts went to that as well when thinking about no one can that's a universal negative no one can come unless uh they're drawn and i, I picture i just picture a, a well you know and drawing the bucket up you're not going to be wooing the bucket up and hoping that it comes <laughs> you know i'm up here choose me choose right. me the drawing power of god and, mm. and very much what you said about the disciples as well i mean jesus comes with this um, you have not chosen me i have chosen you but yet they were free in their will and choices to, to yeah. follow good or bad. Which we even see with Judas. Uh, yeah, where we see, exactly. Right, well, one of the 12 who was chosen went his own way. So there is, even that points towards, all right, however we're going to get at it, there is something, you know, that there are things that we're cho- that, uh, that we do and that we're still held responsible Absolutely. for. Um, that no human being is exonerated because we say, well, God didn't choose him. He couldn't do anything. Exactly. We're never exonerated. 
And, you know, just as Joseph's brothers were not exonerated for yeah. sending him off into slavery in Egypt, even though Joseph says, you didn't send me, God sent me. Yeah. He says, you did this act of evil. Absolutely. And so there is at least that there's some sense of, of saying this, this somehow does work together. We're not to act as if our decisions don't matter. Absolutely. We live as if they do matter. And I don't think we just live as if we do. I think they do, even though for me, I, I look at it and say, I, I'm not going to pretend to understand how all of this works together. But, you know, I mean, we deal with the doctrine of the Trinity. I mean, we're, we're going to do it. The next episode we're going to do is going to be about that. Nobody understands the doctrine of the Trinity. We we can get at it mm-hmm. and, and understand some things about what this means about who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, but but even, I mean, the writing of Scripture, you know, well, was this Paul? Was exactly, this the Holy Spirit? Exactly. Let, we're, we're dealing with Master. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. Exactly, exactly. This is not the only mysterious thing that we're dealing with in life. And, and part of, again, you could say, well, why talk about it? Um, we talked about the humility that, that I think, if we really understand what scripture teaches on this humility, for me, gratitude always is like the, the other side of the coin to humility. Grateful people are humble, humble people are grateful. Um, but I would just ask you, do you see any other things where you'd say, here's why the doctrine of election matters in how we do life, um, maybe apart from humility and gratitude? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think the it matters um, so that we will know that God is sovereign and, and we are so humbled by it. Um, I think um, an important part, especially covered in Ephesians one, is um, our view of Jesus Christ. I think mm-hmm. it matters so that we have a very high view of the one who is worthy of that view. When Ephesians one, uh, when that little those three little words are are. Th- thrown in there a lot. It's not a throwaway. In Christ Jesus is not a throwaway. Yeah, There's something going on here. Um, so when, if I can start from uh, verse three again there, um, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And so there's this goal of election that we are formed in the image of Jesus. The goal of election mm. is our sanctification, um, uh, to be adopted into the family. And so, uh, as you mentioned before, you, you have Jesus saying, those whom the Father give, gave me, I, I've lost uh, none of them. Uh, so I picture uh, from before all time, a Father, Son, and Spirit uh, in the throne room of heaven in perfect fellowship, and the Father... Uh, gifting the son a people a fallen people him gifting his son who is really the elect one capital yes. e the beloved yeah, one talking capital about election, b jesus exactly. is the ultimate elect. absolutely yeah. and so i think it it matters uh in the sense of of having a very high view of jesus christ and and when rightly understood uh, our place in election being in jesus christ uh, gives us that that high high view of him, and and I think that that's the part that um, uh, no boasting yeah. <laughs> at all, and um, but yet still 
still freely using, um, you know, uh, in our personal faith, which is our response to Him. It's still um, by myself, for myself, in myself, but it's not of myself. Hmm. And so I think within all of that, in Jesus Christ, we have this, I guess I would say, not a balance, but a tension of what's going on. I, I love the Philippians 2 thing that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think the fear and trembling is the next part, for it is God who right. works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. And so uh, I think our, our calling is to work out what he has first worked in and that that's the christian life but never apart from jesus without me you can do nothing and so i think from start to finish it's it's in in christ yeah. and and the father <laughs> has gifted a people to him and and that that's love right there yeah well and i love i don't know if this is one of the points you were making but one of the things i heard you saying was just if this is of god that gives us peace about the future mm -hmm. that that gives us peace moving forward about our status before God. you know some people will say if you didn't do anything to get your salvation what makes you think you could get do something to to get yourself out of the family yeah. which when you pause you're like whoo that that's pretty comforting right there brought you into this world i can that's take right. you out of this world <laughs> <laughs> but but that is a comfort moving forward and and one of the things um acts chapter uh 18 i i think we might have talked about this before but I love that it. it's a small little passage in Acts. Again, it's almost an aside. Um, Paul is in Corinth. He's he's doing gospel work there. He's getting resistance, probably at the point that you can make a case that he should just go somewhere else. Um, it says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack or har and harm you, because I have many people in this city which literalists were like, no, you don't. They're not your people yet. They have, he is saying, people who have not yet responded to the gospel, they are my people, they're going to respond. And Paul's response, it says, so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Paul didn't respond by saying, well, if they're gonna be saved, I'll go, it doesn't matter. Exactly. He gets to work. And it's one of the powerful things that I think we get to do gospel work in hope because he doesn't say to Paul, hey, there's people who potentially could respond if you get to work and explain it exactly right. And if they respond, he says, I have many people in the city, so go do the work. He does the work. God's people respond. Think what a comfort as we share the gospel and as we involve ourselves in world missions and as we do the work of the church that we know we're not fighting a losing battle. Exactly. If God is not at work, people could say, if then we're really motivated to get after it. For me, I'm like, that's too much for me to carry. Mm -hmm. I, I can't mm -hmm. carry the weight of all of that. What a comfort. Absolutely. Um, and just the other thing, I, I hope that this has come through in how you and I have talked about it, but I remember being in junior high and playing basketball every day at lunch, and I was bad at basketball, but I had a group of kids that I guess, some of them were my friends, some of them probably didn't really care if I was there. Um, there were times that I didn't even get chosen to be on the team because I was that bad. And there was an odd number of kids and you know I was the one left out. And when there was an odd number of kids, I kind of knew. Um, but some of the kids were friends with me and they would choose me even probably before I deserved it. Mm -hmm. And being chosen, I mean, as a 12 year old boy, desperately afraid of his place in the world, it, it's, it's so, it's so life-giving. 
and to think the God of the universe didn't have to choose us. Absolutely. We hadn't given up. You know, one thing to be a bad basketball player. They're like, he's a good guy, but a bad player. I want him on my team. We weren't good guys either. We, we weren't skilled. We, we didn't have anything to bring to God. And the fact that he chose us, even if we're still wrestling with the mechanics, I, I hope we wouldn't miss that. That what we're seeing in scripture is God didn't have to do any of this. Mm -hmm. And by his choice, he's brought us into the family. Um, man, what, what a comfort to know what it's like to be loved by God, mm -hmm. that he would choose us when we had nothing else to bring him. Absolutely. It's like, a, I was reminded while you're talking, what a child must feel like who has been adopted, Absolutely. maybe has a little bit of a an inkling, like they chose me. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a really cool thing, right. but on a greater level. That, on a that grander God, level. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, we did it. We figured it out. We absolutely. solved the problem. No That's questions. Right. From, <laughs> oh, obviously, we, we knew going into this. We're, we're not thinking that Kevin and Dan, after you know thousands of years, are going to take every in and out of this. But, but I'm grateful we've been able to talk about this. And obviously, we're talking about this because we think that it does matter, that it does bring fruit in our lives, mm -hmm. that it helps us to see God as he truly is, and that it brings not only that humility and that, that gratefulness, but that it also brings us that motivation keep doing what god's called mm -hmm. you to, to do because he's at work behind the scenes yeah absolutely um, and i just want to thank thanks kevin for delving into this this is sure a big thing. ask to yeah. say sure come on a podcast and talk about election yeah but i'm grateful you did it exciting stuff absolutely. thank you thank you for and having me thank yeah and thank those of you uh, i just want to thank those of you who took time to listen um you know, we put out a new episode of the christian contrast every two weeks so two weeks we're going to be back here with another episode talking about the trinity delving into another big topic but if you have questions or comments or feedback on this you can find our videos on lbf.church or you can find our videos on youtube leave a comment give a like subscribe we, we'd love to have future interactions with you um, so thanks so much for taking the time to watch and to listen and we'll see you in two weeks